Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Buck and Sack Show. I'm Michael Sachs in San Francisco. Ryan Buckley, you're joining us from Portland, Oregon. It's Tuesday night, January 28th, about 8.40 on the West Coast. Ryan, how are you? We got a, we're in Super Bowl week. Both of us are heading down to Phoenix this weekend for the Waste Management Open and to watch the Super Bowl. I'm fired up. How are you doing? I'm feeling super, Michael. Considering my team gets to play in the big one, yeah, uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty pumped about it. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm very excited for the game, and uh, as we're going to get into uh, many storylines in said game, a lot of storylines. We're going to start with the Super Bowl. We're going to get to the tragic news of Kobe Bryant's death, and uh, break it down from sort of all perspectives. But that'll be forthcoming. Let's start on the big bowl. Going down in Miami Gardens on Sunday, the Chiefs, the Niners, what do you have? What I have is I, I really have kind of uh, changed my, my consumption of Super Bowl-related media and really whittled it down to good stories written by, by good writers, and uh, they're kind of enlightening of it. And sometimes they're just quick hitters with little nuggets. Sometimes they're deeper dive pieces. Um, but I, th- I think I've picked and cho- uh, chosen a little bit better in years past. And I really in- am enjoying um, some of the storylines going into this one. For one, I think that you know both Kyle Shanahan and Andy Reid really have something to prove uh, for very different reasons. I think Kyle Shanahan is out to prove he- he's kind of the f- this first young wunderkind offensive mind coach that can actually seal the deal as after Sean McVay was so close last year. He's obviously got the... Uh, the legacy with with his dad trying to be the first father son uh, mm-hmm. Super Bowl winning combo yep. in history, um, and then you know on Andy Reid's side he, he's been close a couple times, he's been snake bitten a couple times, he's really tripped on it a couple times. There there have been um, a lot of different ways in which Andy Reid's teams have fallen short, and uh, this is as talented really as any that he's had as we've as we've mentioned in weeks past. Their defense has gotten a little bit stronger towards the back half of this season, quite a bit stronger. And uh, I, I think that with the, their offensive talent is as good as he has ever had. And that's saying something because he's had some real weapons mm-hmm. over the past, um, you know, couple decade and a half that he's been coaching. But um, I, I just think there, there's so much fun stuff to look at in this game. Everybody wants to talk about the um, Chiefs offense and the 49ers defense. I, th- I think that's going to be a really great matchup. I don't think that you can stop Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I, I think it's a try to force him into being uncomfortable and just see if you can get him out of rhythm more than it is get to him. Uh, but you, you've got to do something to get some pressure. And I think the, the Niners front seven has been as good as anybody at disrupting that. So I, I love that X's and O's matchup. But I also think that the the flip side of it's going to be really interesting. I think that uh, Spagnolo calls a pretty good defense. He's been renowned as a decent coordinator over the years. And uh, like you've mentioned previously, that Chiefs defense hasn't got a lot of credit recently, uh, but they've stepped up when they've needed to. And the 49ers offense has just been humming along like a machine. Specifically, the running game looks damn near unstoppable. And it's really remarkable what Kyle Shanahan is able to do with personnel and with game planning and with play calling and save for a couple minor clock management issues throughout the year, he's, he has looked like a genius. And, um, I, you know, 
I would love, obviously, as a fan to see him get over that, um, see the 49ers grab their sixth Lombardi trophy. But there's there are a lot of great individual player matchups. There are a lot of great storylines, um, both on and off the field. Uh, for when I say off the field, I mean non-player related among the coaches. And uh, I, I'm just... Uh, I'm very fired up for this matchup. I think even if I weren't a fan of one of these teams, this would be the matchup uh, that I would have wanted, and uh, now we have it. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, as I often do. Um, I just think that there's a lot of great storylines. You hit on most of them. Uh, I think the coaching matchup, like you, is the most intriguing to me. Uh, You hit on all of it, um, except for one thing, and that is Kyle Shanahan trying to redeem himself you know, he was the obviously the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator with the Falcons when they blew a 28-3 to lead to the Patriots, I think it was three years back, and he received a lot of the blame for not running the ball more and running the clock out, you know, particularly there in the second half. But I just think it's awesome, you know, you, you said it. He, he's trying to become the first son of a Super Bowl winning coach to himself guide his team to a Super Bowl championship. Mike Shanahan did it twice at the helm of the Denver Broncos, with John Elway, and I just think that's an incredible story. Uh, you mentioned Andy Reid. You know, Andy Reid has, for the bulk of his career, been known, at least as a head coach, as a guy who chokes a lot in the big games. This is his second trip to the Super Bowl. He was at the helm of the Eagles when they lost to the Patriots. Of course, he had Terrell Owens come back from a long layoff with a broken ankle in that game and, and really played well kind of on one leg, but it just wasn't enough. That was the game where Donovan McNabb sort of famously threw up on the sideline before the game, and they just couldn't get it done. Uh, he, I think he's lost five conference championship games prior. And, you know, you look at Andy Reid's career, and he it's, it's been a hell of a career. He's got 207 wins against only 128 losses for a win percentage of 618. He's by far... Uh, the winningest active coach behind Bill Belichick. Um, But, you know, he's got more wins than a lot of coaches that are going to be, or if not are in the Hall of Fame. Guys like Chuck Knox, um, Dan Reeves, Chuck Knoll, uh, Bill Parcells. He has got quite a few more wins than Bill Parcells. Even Mike Holmgren, a man who he actually used to work for and won a Super Bowl with the Packers as an assistant coach when Brett Favre won his Super Bowl in Green Bay. But, I just think that, you know, this is a kind of a career-defining game in many ways for Andy Reid. I think he needs this Super Bowl ring to cement his legacy as, one, as probably, I don't know, maybe the second greatest coach of his generation next to Bill Belichick. He would certainly be in the conversation for that title if he was able to win this game on Sunday. Um, and then other storylines, some you mentioned, some you didn't. I mean... One that you didn't mention that I'm intrigued by is that of Richard Sherman. He already has the ring with the Seahawks. He, of course, lost a Super Bowl with the Seahawks famously on the Mm -hmm. Malcolm Butler interception on the goal line uh, to the Patriots. He made that face, the the, the crying why, why, why face. Yeah, and, and, you know, I think he's just a very fascinating, in some ways polarizing character. Uh, I generally like him. I think if he can have a great game and win a second ring, he would cement his legacy as one of the great corners, great defensive backs of his generation, you know, to go from the famous Legion of Boom defense to go to that team's arch rival now in the 49ers and guide them and then win a Super Bowl would be a hell of a story. And then, like you said, you know, I think when 
both teams are on the field. Both units for both teams are on the field. I think you've got a lot of intriguing matchups. I mean, for the Niners, just another player out there that I'm interested in is uh, their left tackle, Joe Staley, who's he mm-hmm. himself probably has put up a Hall of Fame-type career. A win Absolutely, would, yeah. would help get him over the hump. Um, then the, the Niners themselves going for their sixth Super Bowl win in franchise history, trying to become the first NFC team to win a six. Obviously, the Patriots and Steelers already have their six rings. And, you know, it's been a long time coming for this Niners franchise. Their last win was Steve Young in 92, where they dismantled the San Diego Chargers. Uh, they went back with Jim Harbaugh, obviously, the famous game against his brother down in New mm-hmm. Orleans where the lights went out during Beyonce's halftime performance. And the Niners haven't been back since. And really, since that game, they've had nothing but failures as an organization. And they also moved uh, 35, 40 miles south to Santa Clara. Jed York and his family have taken a lot of heat for a lot of different reasons, all of which I think, <clears throat> excuse me, all of which I think has been deserved. But this would be a huge win for that family, this organization, and really a Bay Area uh, who's been treated to multiple championships here. I mean, you, not not to personalize it here, but... It's been you know, an embarrassment I, of riches. It's, it's really, and it really, it, and again, obviously, in no way do I think this has anything to do with me. But when I moved here in 2008, there had been very little success in pro sports for all these mm-hmm. Bay Area teams. And I've now seen three... Giants championships, three Warriors championships, and a Niners trip to the this is the Niners' second trip to the Super Bowl. Uh, and I'm moving, you know, as, as I've said before. I don't know if I've made it totally clear. I'm moving to Richmond, Virginia, on July 1st. So this was is going to be my final big time Bay Area sporting event here at Living. Well, unless in- the Warriors decide that you're going to get back in things, you know. Yeah, yeah well, that that could. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. But, uh, you know, it would just be incre- it's just been an incredible run for me to witness since I moved here and for obviously more so even for people like you who grew up here and seeing this incredible run. And it would really put a cherry on top of this great, you know, 10-year run, I guess you would say, in Bay Area sports. So th- those are all. And then I should mention the Chiefs. You know, they went to the first ever Super Bowl. They lost to Vince Lombardi and the Packers in Super Bowl one. They returned in Super Bowl four and got their got their lone Super Bowl win, and they haven't been back to this game since, Ryan. It's been 50 years now. This is Super Bowl 54. They won Super Bowl four, so it's been 50 years. Quite since, the drought. Yeah, since the Kansas City Chiefs have even been in this game. So a lot on the line. You know, obviously, it's the Super Bowl. There's always going to be a lot on the line, but those are all storylines that I'm looking forward to and like you you know I'm you said I'm not a fan of either team I'm expecting a hell of a game I really am uh, mm-hmm. we'll make our picks when we go in the book later in the show but I'm I'm just really excited to watch this game yep we uh, you, you and me both I think that uh there's plenty of intrigue um from the kind of the narratives if you will and also from the x's and o's and uh I I hope that it lives up to the billing I do too and I think it will um, now we transition to something totally different, uh, just a tragic mm-hmm. event that has captured the attention of not only the sports world, but the entire country, I think, and in some ways the whole world, the whole sporting yeah, world. definitely. Um, you know, I traveled back from Richmond on Sunday. Uh, I, I flew from Richmond to Charlotte and then, con- you know, 
caught a flight from Charlotte back to SFO with my family. And when I landed in Charlotte and turned my phone back on, I had a bunch of texts, like things like, dear God, and oh my God, I can't believe it. And I had no idea what my friends were talking about. And I, I opened up Twitter and saw it, and it had just happened, uh, you know, literally, I think, five minutes, I think, before I landed, or at least, you know, the, the, the confirmation of what had happened. Of course, we're talking about the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and his young 13-year-old daughter, who's affectionately known as Gigi, and there were seven other people aboard this helicopter, all who have died. Um, just a terrible, terrible tragedy from a number of different perspectives, Ryan. And, you know, the, the outpouring of love and support that we've seen on social media, on traditional media, um, in the last few days has honestly, I think, been like anything, unlike anything I've ever seen in the sports world. I think that Kobe, you know, he's had his ups and downs, both on and off the court. Um, I think in some ways when he was playing, he was a really polarizing figure, at least in my eyes. But there doesn't seem to be much of that now. It just seems to be nothing but love for this great, 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 all one of the all-time great basketball players, uh, a Laker his entire career, led them to five championships. I mean, the list of accolades go on. Uh, his his off the his his post playing career, I should say, was just starting to blossom. He's a father of four. He leaves behind three and also a wife, his wife Vanessa, who he married when she was just 17 years old. Uh, and just just a tragedy to see a man with a young family like that die, uh, perish in a, in a helicopter crash, and, and just to see his young daughter, who, who by all accounts was full of life, full of promise, a great basketball player herself who had dreams of going and playing for Gino Ariema at UConn and one day hopefully playing in the WNBA, uh, they were on their way to a basketball tournament. Uh, you know, it, it's just an incredibly sad event. And I've really been struck by all parts of it. I've tried to consume as many accounts as I can. And I, I, I do have some further thoughts that I want to get to, but I want to just sort of let you pick it up from here to, to start. Yeah, I mean, I think that you, you stated um, most of what a, a lot of people uh, felt in reacting to this, which was just, you know, shock and, um, and, and, and tragedy. And it was something that, uh, anytime I think that you have a death that is, uh, both so young and also accidental and, and so swift, it, 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 it seems to rock people a lot more because no one's had the chance to prepare for it. And, uh, I think the message that people, a lot of people end up getting out of it is, um, you know, don't waste moments, don't waste time. And, uh, but, but you're right. The, the outpouring or of, reaction and emotion uh, following it has, has really been almost a spectacle in, in that uh, I don't, to me, the closest thing I can ever remember to this as far as it just transcending all news and and, and, and reaching all corners of the globe was the death of Princess Diana. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I remember that one when I was a kid happening and, and I didn't know anything about the royal family or really, really anything about her. But I just remember everyone stopped what they were doing to read the details, see the details, see the tribute. I think um, a lot of the images you saw of Kobe and his daughter, just like with Princess Di and, and her sons, um, really humanized the person that we just saw as an athlete for, for so many years. And I think in, in the more recent years that we've seen Kobe around the game with his daughters, even if we haven't been conscious of it, people have kind of known that's been going on. And so I think that uh, the... 
that to more people made him like an everyman more recently, even though I, he, he's far from that. But I think if it's just a guy people only knew in a basketball jersey, um, I don't want to say it's like it's tougher to deal with or, or that it's easier to deal with. But I, I think that people saw this next chapter of Kobe's life and that uh, humanized him a little bit more than kind of the, the robot that he was during his career. And uh, and it's, you know, the, the family part of aspect of it is is super tragic that leaving behind uh, three daughters and a wife and. Everybody else involved in that it reached the the University of Oregon athletic family as the uh, as one of the passengers. John Altabelli was a um, Southern California junior college baseball coach. Mm-hmm. His son, his son JJ, played shortstop at the University of Oregon from 2010 to 2013. He's now a scout for the Red Sox, and uh, he lost his his father, his stepmother, and his sister all in the accident. And uh, and uh, and and you know I. I Though the one positive for JJ is that his other sister is is still alive and wasn't aboard that aircraft, but to lose three family members on that, and there are uh, so many lives that were kind of rocked by this thing. It's it's just uh, really heart wrenching to see, but then uh, you see kind of the the impact that the event had on uh, the the world at large and, and the media landscape, and it's it's pretty wild. Yeah, and and I want to get to some of this now, and and I do this at the risk of. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll sound callous or, or whatever whatever it is. And you know, this has sort of been a, a simmering topic a little bit on social media. And to be perfectly honest, Ryan, uh, I've been a little bit surprised. I guess that it hasn't become more of a topic. I guess maybe it will as we get further and farther away from the tragedy. But you know, when I when I think of Kobe Bryant. The first thing I think of is obviously he was one of the all-time great basketball players in the history of the game. Uh, Well-known for being just an incredibly driven competitor, uh, a will to win like no other, patterned himself from an early age after Michael Jordan. I mean, idolized him to, to, to the point where, you know, all he wanted to do was at least win the six, same six championships as MJ did. He fell one short. Um, he, he battled through injuries. Um, but you know, the first injury that he had, he had to, he had to go have a knee surgery in in the summer of 2003 and he was in Vail, Colorado. And, you know, you can go back and read the accounts of this as I did, because I wanted to make sure that my memory matched up with what actually happened. And I'd actually sort of forgotten, you know, it happened in 2003. I'd forgotten about it. I, of course, I'm talking about the sexual assault case. With Kobe, and, and I just think that it's important to bring this up because I think that when you see all these things of, of people honoring him, I like to be as real and open and as, as honest as I can in my life and also on this show. So the people who have listened to us for a long time, I think, understand that and appreciate that, I hope, of us both. But I think that when you look at Kobe Bryant, he was accused of sexual assault and, and rape. He was. And he, he was never... Uh, you know, it, the case never went to criminal court. He did end up settling out of, uh, I'm sorry, in civil court for an undisclosed amount. But a, ni- a then 19-year-old woman who was working at the hotel, he, but the, you know, she says, you know, there's public depositions out there that you can read. And if anyone's interested, I encourage you to do so. I'm not going to get into the graphic details of what she says happened, uh, just because it, it's it's very unseemly. It, it, it's downright 
rugged and disgusting, if I'm going to be honest about it. But, you know, he, she accused him of raping her. He denied it. He said they did have a sexual encounter, but it was consensual. If you read uh, Kobe's public deposition, his tune completely changed with the police once they told him that she had gone to the hospital and, and uh, submitted forensic evidence. And so that's kind of where we're at. And, and that has always sort of stuck with me, even, you know, as he became the great player that he was, you know, when this happened, he wasn't as great as he ended up being on the court. And he ended up winning a whole bunch of championships afterwards. You know, he started out number eight. After this case in Colorado, he changed his number to 24 in an attempt to sort of change his whole persona. You know, people now know him famously uh, as the Black Mamba. That was a nickname he gave himself in the wake of this, yeah. you know, sexual assault case, which I find to be incredibly weird, to be honest. You know, you're yeah. giving yourself the nickname, the Black Mamba, in the wake of being accused of, of raping somebody doesn't sit really all that well with me. I think it's really weird and kind of disgusting. And now, you know, you see people out there, you know, young women who, honestly, I'm not sure even followed Kobe's career at all. You know, you see lots of women out there posting on their Instagram and their Twitter, you know, RIP Mamba. I don't think that they really have any idea uh, where that name came from. Uh, you know, they, I think, I don't know. I, it's hard for me to get in the heads of everyone out there. And I don't want to be the guy who says, who tells somebody how they should or shouldn't feel. It was obviously a total tragedy. But when you're talking about Kobe Bryant, the man in full, it's complicated. It's more than meets the eye. In this sexual assault case that happened in Vail, Colorado, uh, is a big part of his legacy. At least it is for me. It doesn't seem to be a very big part of his legacy for most everyone out there in the world, and that's fine. People can do and say and think whatever they want, but for me, uh, I don't think that Kobe Bryant was Mother Teresa. I don't, and a lot of people no. out there sort of treating him like that, and yes. I never have, and I'm not going to. I feel horrible, horrible about what happened to him. I, I mean, I have a, a two, I'm a father of two kids. You know, I'm, I'm on the plane reading all this stuff on Twitter. You know, I had a, I got Wi-Fi on the flight from Charlotte to San Francisco. I spent almost the whole five hours reading stuff on social media. And I, you know, I teared up several times. Just, it's a terrible tragedy what happened to him and his daughter and the other people on that helicopter. You know, to personalize it a little bit, when I was working in San Diego, a coworker and friend of mine, a photographer, the same thing happened to him. He was on a helicopter up on the Oregon coast shooting a documentary and they flew in morning fog and, and crashed into a cliff and, and all aboard tragically perished. You know, I was over at his house the next day, you know, with his wife and kids who he left behind. It was one of the saddest things I've ever witnessed. I understand how tragic it is. And again, my heart goes out to everyone involved, the families, all of that. But when you look at Kobe Bryant, a man in full, it's complicated. He lived a complicated life. Um, I, I think there were so many things about him that were great. It seems like he really turned the page on the sexual assault case. You know, he got back together with his wife. Obviously, they had a bunch more kids. Things seemed to be going well. I really don't know. Uh, but, you know, it seems like he, he grew and matured a lot and learned from his mistake. You know, it seemed like he was a mentor to a lot of people, basketball players and, and people from other walks of life. And that's great. And I love to see people get second chances and redeem themselves and, and salute to him if, in fact, 
that's what, you know, if the public perception was the reality, I don't really know. But, you know, I have a hard time looking past, uh, I have a hard time looking past rape, Ryan. I, I just, I just do. And I think that's a really big part of his legacy. I do too, and I think that there are a lot of things at play here. I think one that we are at uh, the mercy of the recency bias that uh, had this happened a couple of years ago, had we had the social media coverage years ago that we have that we have now, I think that he uh, may have been quote unquote canceled, as they say, mm-hmm. um, and in in the culture where t- society just absolutely doesn't tolerate it, but for whatever reason. Um, there, we also live in a society where if you perform at, uh, at your, at your skill or at your career at a certain level, we are willing to turn a blind eye to absolutely anything. And, uh, you know, people still play Michael Jackson's music and the guy's most likely, in my opinion, it, it most definitely a pedophile. Um, and you, know, you know, that's and, a really good comparison. It really is, and I, and, I have been. And people still, people are still going to dance to it. They're still going to listen to the music. You still hear it at the grocery store. There's nothing for whatever reason. There's nothing off-putting to people about Michael Jackson, and uh, you know, it's not. He hasn't committed crimes of the same nature, but it's the same reason that football teams are willing to kick the tires still on Antonio Brown and see if he's available for a workout and see if he can help their team. They they, they don't care that he has done things that indicate he's a shitty human being. If you have the talent, people are still going to respect that talent and want you around. And I think that uh, Kobe came, you know, had enough success after that incident that it's that success that sticks with people. But um, it is, as you mentioned, it is a big part of his legacy. And I think the part I will always remember Kobe as one of the most insane competitors I've ever seen in any sport and uh, having just a ridiculous motor and drive and uh, love of the game, unlike a lot of people, and yeah, uncommon, uh, and really, it re- and really unique to him. Um, but th- there is also a whole second tier of like revering Kobe the man that is is a little bit tough to fully wrap my arms around. Um, and, and 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 I shouldn't even say fully. I mean, at at all. I, I, you, I know that it by all accounts from people that were close to him recently it sounds like he was a great dad and that he was really invested in his family in the recent years um that that is all fantastic but uh you hear about all these things about how he's furthering women and furthering you know uh women's sports and women's yeah. careers and, and things like that and you you think about previous transgressions against women and it's uh you you have you have to be you have to look at both i suppose yeah and you know while I can have my thoughts, I do want to say, you know, I'm going to defer to some that may have known him a lot better. You know, this, this clip of L. Duncan, uh, the Sports Center anchor, mm-hmm. sort of recounting her encounter with him when she was eight months pregnant and him just talking about how he's a, he's a girl dad and that's become a trending thing on Twitter and, and lots of people are, are sort of tweeting out pictures of them with their men who have daughters tweeting out pictures of them with their daughters, hashtag girl dad. And that's a wonderful thing to see. Uh, her recollection of that was poignant and awesome. Uh, you know, Shaquille O'Neal tonight uh, went on Inside the NBA and mm-hmm. talked about how he regrets sort of not being uh, more in touch with, with his former teammate, you know, that he hadn't seen him, I guess, since his final game where he dropped 60 uh, at the Staples Center and Shaq was in tears and all of that. 
you know, so many memories, so, so many remembrances, I should say, to Tracy McGrady the other day on the Jump Rachel Nichols show. I mean, the, the list is all, goes on, and those people all knew Kobe, both the player and the man, far better. Than, and obviously, I don't know him at all, but I just have a hard time, you know, sort of making him. I just feel like, again, you, you said it better than I have. It's hard to separate the off the court with the on the court for me because of what he was accused of doing. And then, of course, had to, again, he, he wasn't found guilty of it in court. Uh, the accuser decided not to bring it to trial. It did go to civil trial in which he lost. Uh, so I don't want to pat, you know, we've spent enough time on this. But I've just been kind of surprised at the outpouring of support for a man who, by all accounts, raped a 19-year-old woman in a hotel room in Vail, Colorado in 2003. And that's it. And But other than that, you know, again, happy that he had sort of turned everything around by all accounts. And, you know, can we just, let's just talk a little bit before we close the book on this subject. Just the on the court. I mean, the guy, clearly, Ryan, is one of the 10 greatest players to ever play the game. A five-time NBA champion. Uh, he, he, strangely only won the MVP once in 2008. Yeah, I was surprised when I was looking at all his accolades that that was the case. Yeah, but he was a, he was a playoff player. I mean, obviously a great regular season player, a two-time scoring champion, you know, an 18-time All-Star, uh, an 11-time All-NBA first team, which for me is a great indication of your greatness. I mean, to make an all-NBA first team is very, 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 very difficult. Kobe Bryant did it 11 times. He was also named to the all-NBA defensive first team nine times. So just mm -hmm. a, a tremendous two-way player. Uh, like I said, a two-time scoring champion. Uh, he that was, surprised me that wasn't higher also. It surprised me a little bit too. You know, he played at the same time as Allen Iverson and, and some others, so that was tough. But, you know, he, you just look at his career statistics. He won two Olympic gold medals. He averaged 25 points a game over his career, a long career. And just a, a, one of the great two guards in the history of the game. You know, on draft night, he famously was selected by the Hornets 13th overall and then traded uh, for Vlade Divac and, and became a Laker on draft night and was a Laker his entire career. He suffered through the, the knee injury that actually was the whole reason he was in Vail, Colorado in 2003. And then later, I remember he blew out his Achilles uh, against the Warriors on a game I was producing, the post-game show. That was yeah, a great, that was crazy. Harrison I, Barnes. Yeah. I, Harrison I, I, Barnes was guarding him. I remember the moment well. I, I do too. And uh, I felt I think so, I was probably working on that show with you. Yeah, that, that, that. It's hard to say. Hard to say, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I felt so bad for him that night. And then, of course, he worked his way back and still had a few more good years. You know, he put up 81 points in a game, which is the second most ever only to Wilt Chamberlain's famous 100-point game. And, you know, just an all-time great, uh, led probably the most famous franchise in the sport to five championships. And, you know, he obviously he won an Emmy last year. Uh, sorry. Was it an Emmy or an Oscar? Oscar. Oscar Sorry, for thank sure. you. He won an Oscar last year as an executive producer, and he was involved in all kinds of things, including writing some children's books and producing children's TV shows. But he was very involved in, in his kids' lives. And uh, as a dad, I respect the hell out of that. And uh, he's going to be missed. He leaves a huge gaping hole in the NBA world and the sports world 
as a whole, and I feel so bad for his family to lose not only their father, but also their young 13-year-old daughter, uh, whose nickname is Gigi. So just a terrible, terrible event. Yeah, yep, it, uh, it, it really is. And it's, well, like you mentioned, it's, it's uh, complicated when you have multiple uh, kind of layers of emotions about the person involved, but um, but on, on the whole, tragedy is, is is what the overarching thing is here. It's, it's it's terrible. Well, I appreciate everybody out there sort of giving us. Hopefully, you're still listening, giving us the time to sort of talk through this because uh, you know I know it's been an unpopular thing to say out there, uh, especially on tr- on social media. But you know, like I said, it's I think we both feel the same, and uh, we're here to speak the truth. So. That's what we, that's, or at least our opinion of the truth. So uh, that's what we've done here tonight. So let's move forward, Ryan, and let's hit us with your uh, interesting of the week. My interesting of the week uh, comes to us from a couple little pieces of NFL news or tidbits floating around that I think all together signal some, a pretty interesting shift that's about to happen. And I think we've talked a little bit with reverence about this, uh, this current old guard of quarterback and just how much they've accomplished. And we've talked a little bit about the, the new guard of quarterback and, and how much we expect them to accomplish. But I think what we haven't really hit on yet, or at least not recently is what the shifting landscape of quarterback of, of the quarterback shuffle and the musical chairs around the league is going to look like, because there seem to be more and more pieces that are on the move. Uh, this week we learned that, Philip Rivers and the Chargers are going to part ways after 16 years, so mm-hmm. uh, he is he is out there and available. It sounds as though uh, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, he's 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 a free agent, so, so like he's probably going to be a starter somewhere, considering what he was able to do in Drew Brees' absence. There was this weird thing. In, I don't know if it was actually weird or if it's just people reading too much into it, but uh, Russell Wilson seeding the starting job in the Pro Bowl to Drew Brees, like almost felt like indicative of something. And then there was uh, a quarter, a story about uh, Sean Payton saying that uh, he's comfortable with Taysom Hill as the starting quarterback. So it seems like they're like, I don't know if they're expecting some Andrew Luck like retirement. I certainly don't expect that to be the case, but there's going to be an opening in new Orleans sooner than later. Then you've got all the, the quarterbacks, Probably three quarterbacks taken in the top 10 of the NFL draft. Uh, Nick Foles might be a man who is out in Jacksonville if they like what they have in Gardner Minshew. They're just, there are a handful of pieces. There's a, and obviously the, there's the elephant in the room, Tom Brady, which is, you know, I think people are pretty split about being sure that he's staying in New England and thinking, well, maybe he'll give it a go elsewhere. I, I honestly can't speculate myself. Yet, but uh, between all those guys I just mentioned, Brady, and then even Matthew Stafford, Dak Prescott, are those guys going to stay with the teams that they've been with all along? Are they going to be moving sometime sooner than later? Later, uh, How does it all shuffle out, and, and really, how does it change what the, the landscape of the NFL looks like? Because I think you know the, the teams at the top have that quarterback position solidified, but there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot up in the air still um, when you when you take the new guys out and some of the the old guard. Yeah, I mean, so much going on, in, including some things, a couple that you didn't mention. I, I haven't even mentioned. Yeah, I, I'm sure I didn't get all of it. Well, Eli Manning retired. Um, yep. And yeah, well, Drew Brees. Daniel Jones' job, anyways, is kind of what I thought. So. Yeah, 
Um, but he's not going anywhere else as Rivers and Brady. Right. And then a, a third, Drew Brees, Mike. I didn't realize until mm-hmm. just the other day that Brees was a free agent. And then, of course, you have Big Ben going to be trying to come back. I, wait, is he? I thought they committed a ton of money to him. I no, that, I, saw, uh, I, I was watching hmm. uh, some show the other day, and apparently Drew Brees is a free agent. Everyone expects the Saints to come back to him, but I, I think that he's a free agent. So I could be wrong hmm. on that. See if you can look that up while I talk a little I, I'm Actually, I'm already on it. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, and then Big Ben trying to come back from injury. And you mentioned the – you know, I think the most exciting part of all this is the draft um, with Joe mm-hmm. Burrow, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, and Justin Herbert, I think being the, the three guys that are going to probably all go in the top 10. Um, and then, you know, of course, where Tom Brady lands is a big part of it. And then another guy that's sort of dangling out there is Cam Newton. You know, he, he had that yep. surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just saw today the Panthers are going to sort of evaluate what they're going to do. Obviously, they have a new head coach there in Matt Rule. Um, and, of course, the Titans have a decision to make on whether they or not they want to bring uh, Ryan Tannehill back. So uh, mm-hmm. a lot up in the air all over the NFL. I mean, really, there's more uncertainty. There's more teams with uncertainty at the quarterback position than there are just sort of – guys that you know are coming back and playing for the team that you saw them play for last year. So uh, you're right, and and a lot of these older quarterbacks, you know, I think we're definitely going through a changing of the guard. I mean, that's why this Super Bowl is so one of the many reasons it's so exciting. You know, you have two of the best sort of up-and-coming, best young quarterbacks in the game with Mahomes, certainly, and and Jimmy G to a lesser extent. but yeah, I mean, there's just a lot up in the air. And then even some of the lesser, younger quarterbacks, I think, have a chance to take the next step. I mean, you talk like about guys like Deshaun Watson, certainly, uh, in Houston. You talk about Josh Allen in Buffalo has a chance to take, a, uh, to take another step. Uh, you mentioned Daniel Jones with the Giants, Sam Darnold um, with the Jets. I mean, the list is long. So... It's an exciting. Kyler Murray with Kingsbury and the cards. Yeah, yep, yep. Definitely him with the cards. And then there are some others. So I have some information on Breeze, not to cut you off. Good, good. Save me. What it appears, based on uh, Spot Track, uh, what it looks like is that he is, in fact, a free agent, but the Saints still owe him $10.5 million from his signing bonus. So basically, since they're paying, and it's like a. It looks like it's a there's a dead cap hit on it, so they would be wise to try to sign him to a lower deal, a lesser deal, since they're going to be paying him anyways. Is okay. is kind of how I'm reading it, but um, it also says he cannot be franchise tagged in 2020. So um, his he is he is not being paid a base salary by the Saints right now, uh, and is in need of a new contract. Okay, so I guess I had it mostly right. Mm-hmm. It, that that's that is my understanding from this little little chart link that I'm at. Okay, good. Well, I appreciate you setting the record straight. But I agree, it's a it's a really interesting thing. Um, you got anything more on that? No, I think I, I mean we we covered all of it. I just I think when you look at all like really the the middle meat of the NFL, whether it's like maybe the middle seventy percent could look completely different based on what's happening at that position for them like next year. And I don't know that it's up in the air for 70% of the teams, but it might be 50%. 
uh, when you consider the draft, uh, free agency, and some of the comings and goings. Yeah, and, and there's another guy I guess we should mention that I am sort of fo- fascinated by. is It's the situation in Chicago um, mm-hmm. with Mitch Trubisky, obviously the number one pick I think three years ago. Uh, I guess there's some talk that they could kind of get out from under that deal and maybe make a run at Tom Brady. And that would be, of all the potential landing places that are out there for Brady, I think the Bears is probably the most interesting for a mm-hmm. number of reasons. Um, most notably, they haven't had a good quarterback probably since they won the Super Bowl in 1985 with Jim McMahon. And I would be interested to see Brady go to that big market, the Windy City uh, team with a great defense and try to you know, win one more, win one more ring and see if he could do it there in Chicago. But they don't have a lot of great weapons around him at this, at this moment. And honestly, of all the potential landing spots, it doesn't seem like there's just one surefire spot where you would say, yeah, no. that, that's going to work out, you know, where they have a good head coach, they have a good weapons around him, and also like kind of a, a, a great city for him to play. And I'm not sure if the city really means as much as the, the first two, but it doesn't seem like there's a surefire, surefire destination for him. I don't know that people know. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't it, know it that leads he knows. me to believe and think, more think than believe, because I don't know what to think or believe. But I, if I had to bet, if I had to bet, I'd probably bet on him going back to New England. I think. Would it, would I would too. I, I gun to my head, I think I would say the same. Just, just because of what we said. Now, you know, there's probably something out there that we don't know about. I mean, could the Cowboys be in play? I mean, you mentioned Dak Prescott. They got to decide whether or not to pay him. If they well, decide- the other one that just popped into my head too. If Ben Roethlisberger can't return, what about the Steelers? Ooh, that's a good one. I hadn't heard that. That's an interesting one. And I, I hadn't really, I haven't heard that anywhere. But I'm just like, if if for some reason Ben Ben can't throw a football, that's not that's that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean they've been just bitter rivals throughout. I know, I know. That would be interesting. The the, the one that I think would probably make the most quote-unquote sense is probably the Panthers. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with Christian McCaffrey there in the fold, uh, obviously, you know, I just don't know what he would feel about the new, a guy that's never been a head coach at the pro level in that rule. So, I mean, that would be... Yeah, a little little bit of a LaFleur-Rogers situation going on there with young young guy needing to call the shots and old guy being like, listen, this is how I want to do it. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. Um, my interesting is a little bit off the beaten path, and I don't even really know what I want to say about this. I just want to kick it around a little bit with you. You know, I detailed, I, I flew back with my family to Richmond this past weekend, and, and it was a very, you know, for cross-country f- travel with two small kids, it was about as smooth as it could be. But I'm just, every time I, I uh, fly on an airplane, Ryan, I'm struck by... A lot of things, um, <laughs> but both good and bad. And my interest in the week is simply just air, airplane travel. And, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I'll say this, and I, I've thought about it a lot today in, in preparation, and I haven't really <laughs> sorted all my th- thoughts out. I think it's like simultaneously one of the best and worst things that you do routinely in your life. I mean... First of that's all, probably, that, that's that's a really great assertion. I like that. 
you know, I would say this. I think that it gets completely taken for granted by the majority of people who fly, at least somewhat regularly. Just how amazing the whole thing is to be able to just, you know, spend a few hundred dollars and you're just free to go pretty much wherever the hell you want, anywhere in the world. I mean, as an American, for the most part. And I just think that people take for granted how easy it is, how safe it is, and how awesome it is just to be able to get on a, a plane. You sit in this tube that's flying through the sky and you can be in San Francisco and five hours later, you're in a completely different place, whether it's Hawaii to the west, Canada to the north somewhere in Mexico to the south, or, you know, New York City or Washington, D.C. to the east or Atlanta or wherever, it just blows my mind, honestly, every time I do it, just how amazing it is. And all people want to do is complain about this and that and how bad it is, but really I think it's one of the greatest things in our society. And it's really interesting to me how long it's been really great. I mean, you know, it, obviously... I, what, the Wright, I'd have to look it up. The Wright brothers, I think, invented flight in the early 1900s. But really, I'd say since probably the 1930s, it's been kind of an increasingly just a staple of American life and, and first world life. And it's just become so reliable, uh, knock on wood, generally speaking, incredibly safe um, to fly commercially on these big jets. And it's just awesome. But with the awesome... There's a lot of problems, you know. I mean, just just pretty much from the minute you step into the airport, it's just a basic assault on sort of your 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 comfort and your senses. You know, the security is kind of a hassle, um, but I respect it, and I certainly respect what they're at least trying to do. I'm not sure, you know, if it's all necessary, but I'm willing to kind of go through pretty much anything as long as they're going to keep the plane safe, right? But Correct. You know, then you get on the plane and and it's just it, it always kind of astonishes me how people can just sort of sit, you know, particularly for longer flights. And I know you just did a really long flight. Uh, you know, you flew to India and then later to Thailand. I haven't been on a flight of over probably seven hours ever in my life, but just a five hour flight is pretty long, man. It's pretty long. Just be sitting there in this seat. You know, if you've got a middle seat, it's basically sucks. Um, uh, uh, an aisle or a window isn't a whole lot better. You know, if you have the unfortunate luck of being next to a, a large individual, it's even worse. You know, and then, you know, it just it's just a, a litany of weird and bad stuff. I mean, using the bathrooms, disgusting. It sucks. You know, there's germs everywhere. If someone's sick on the plane, you're likely to get sick in the next couple of days. But again, you know, you kind of take all that bad for the ability to travel and experience new and wonderful things. And I love to travel. I, I love it. You know, in my in the last five or six years, I've become a little bit of an anxious flyer, much more so than I used to be, uh, particularly when you're, you're up in 30,000 feet and it's really turbulent. If you're going through a storm or whatever, I hate it when it gets turbulent. You know, I've done my research. I've talked to pilots. They all assure me that turbulence is no big deal. But when you're, you know, over Oklahoma and you've got three more hours to go in the in Or the over plane, ocean with no land within two hours. Yeah, or, or that. And the plane's rattling around and bouncing up and down. And, 
you know, it's a nervous time for me. I don't understand how people don't seem to let it bother them at all. It seems like most people doesn't really bother them. I wish I could be that way. I used to be. But, you know, that kind of whole thing bothers me, too. I'm always kind of just a little bit on edge. I don't really sleep at all on planes. I just can't get comfortable, and I'm kind of filled with varying levels of anxiety the whole time I'm on the damn thing. But, you know, not enough to make me not want to do it. I'm going to fly again on Thursday down to Phoenix. So, (laughs) um, you know, I just think the whole, again, to recap, it's an amazing experience. It's a bit of a hassle, but I guess the thing that just sticks out the most to me is just how uh, taken for granted the whole thing is, and I think that's a mistake. It's really an amazing thing how, you know, just how easy and relatively, I know a lot of people aren't fortunate enough uh, to be able to afford to fly much, if at all. Uh, but just the ability to kind of go where you want when you want to go, you know, you can go to the other side of the world as you did pretty much no problem. It's just a freaking awesome thing that does come with some inherent risk and inherent more, more than risk, inherent hassles that really aren't that pleasant, particularly with a two-year-old. I mean, my two-year-old coming back from Virginia was all over the place. He didn't nap at all. It was tough, particularly on my wife, but me too. And it, you know, that that's a whole separate issue, but Just airline travel. That's my interesting of the week. Yeah, in general, we take it completely for granted. And it is amazing. On the surface, it is just, it is is truly amazing. The fact that that not just that we can do it, but that so many people can do it. And for what I think is such, such a reasonable cost. I mean, the, 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 there are deals that I could for $69 fly from, Portland down to Los Angeles if I wanted a change of weather. I mean, that's that's dinner and two drinks out with my wife here in town. But right. I could go I could fly like it's six or seven hundred miles in it a, takes an in hour. A plane in an hour yeah. and pizza were totally different. And like for sixty-nine bucks. That's pretty crazy. Um, it is. And I mean, you are you're just up there with all these people rocketing through the great blue yonder at like six hundred miles an hour and it's it's like the easiest thing. People are reading, people are eating, and everyone bags on airline food. But most a lot of the time, they feed you. They find a way to heat up food and feed you while you're in a tube rocketing through the sky. Yeah, uh, it, it, it is remarkable. But you also see a lot of weird stuff. You have you have a lot of um, odd stuff. Uh, the the ch- the child stuff is is really difficult. I know every parent says. Listen, like until you, ha- you until you're the one with the kid, you know you don't know just how tough it is. And there's sometimes where I'm like, listen, kids are going to be kids. It's not a pleasant experience for many, and it's just going to be rough. But it's also it's, there's also times where you 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 feel like you can judge other people as parents for what they are or aren't doing. On a, on a recent flight, my wife had had a uh, someone slightly older than toddler, someone who old enough to know the difference, kicking the back of her seat for about two hours yeah, while she was trying that to happens. sleep, and uh, and <laughs> that's tough. But again, I mean, you're basically like you're really nitpicking when you're talking about the, the benefit of what you're getting out of this whole thing. So uh, it, it is it is honestly a marvel. I mean, the fact that there are people walking around serving you, um, that despite the fact you're flying, you can still use the facilities. Like, and and now people can be on their phones and be on the internet. You could make a call to the ground if you had the right coverage. Like, it is, it's 
it does not our, our space um, our progress with air and space is not getting enough credit. No, and you know, you you met you hit on the devices, and it does make it a lot better. You know, I love it when they have a TV on the plane, or if the Wi-Fi is working, and you can get fire up the ESPN app or whatever, and watch a game or Netflix and watch a movie. All that's great. One of my favorite things to do when I'm traveling is kind of strike up a conversation with a stranger next to me. To me, that's like the best way to sort of make the time pass quicker, obviously, particularly if it's a good conversation. But these days, everybody just throws the headphone on and stares at the iPad or reads a book and nobody wants to talk anymore. Uh, But, you know, I had a great conversation with a guy uh, heading back from that Alabama-Mississippi State game from Houston to San Francisco and but it seems like now about only ten percent of all flights you really even find someone who's gives you the time of day to talk. But that's my favorite way to pass the time on a plane is just to have a good old fashioned conversation with a stranger. Hmm. Yeah, and I I think depending on the circumstance, I I enjoy that as well. If it's first thing in the morning, I may want to be getting something done, sure. or I may want him to be trying to get some extra sleep, sleep that I missed out on sure. leaving early. Um, or basically any situation in which the cabin lights are out, I think is a, uh, time to not conversate mode, no but talk, I have no so. issue stri- uh, stri- I have no issue striking up conversation with a stranger. What I, what I really enjoy is, um, you know, I, I listen to podcasts when I'm driving uh, to and from work, when I'm at the gym. So I, I don't listen to too many podcasts when I'm on the plane. Uh, I enjoy a good old fashioned book and not on, not on a Kindle, but like actually having a physical book and, and diving in, especially on a long flight where there's nowhere to be. And often when there are no other options, like you don't have the TV in front of you uh, or, you know, it's for whatever reason, it's not working or there's, they're playing one movie for the whole plane, which doesn't happen as much uh, anymore. But I just, I like having like a, a good paperback and, and, and plowing through two or three hours of a book and, you know, a couple hundred pages. And uh, I, I rarely do that at home because it seems like there's always other stuff that uh, that requires uh, or, or is more worthy of my attention, but uh, a plane without without a screen in front of me is the perfect place to crack into a book. Yeah, and I agree. And to that point, I actually even more than a book. I newspapers. Enjoy... Are you a newspaper? No, I'm going the old school. Now these days, it's old school. The old... I still have an iPod that I mm-hmm. only has music on it. And it still works, and I really only break it out when I fly, and I'd like to just sort of zone out and rock out for a few hours with the iPod. And, you know, I've still got some old playlists that I put together years ago. It's fun to go back and listen to some tunes that I haven't heard in a bunch of years, and I enjoy that as much as anything. I just, uh, you know, just kind of close my eyes but not sleep and just and rock out and let my mind wander I, you know, if I can't strike up a conversation with somebody, that's kind of where I go these days. Yeah, yeah, I like it. We're, we're, we're both we're both kicking it old school to a degree. To a degree. Um, so that's my interest in the week. Airline travel. Let's talk Super Bowl betting. Uh, I haven't looked at any of the props, nor will I probably ever. But, you know, when we <laughs> talked about the game uh, last week, uh, I said I, I, it was too close for me to call. I didn't have a pick. I have a pick now, um, but I'll let you Ooh. go first. Uh, well, I I actually don't have a pick. At least I don't. I I told you last week I would favor the Niners. Uh, I still do, and but I'm also a little bit biased. I will not. I don't think I'll be laying any scratch on a side in this game. I, I there actually are 
a couple prompts that I like. Good. Um, but yeah, anyway. uh, but but let's let's just talk about the game the game itself itself first. I like the Niners. Um, I do. I think they're going to win the game. I'm looking at Vegas Insider right now. It opened at a point and a half. Chiefs favored. The Chiefs are now favored by one. Uh, the total. This says it opened at 54. I thought it opened around 51. It's now. See, and I and I thought it was 53 when it opened. Okay, it could be. I thought it had gone up because I keep seeing, you know, all these betting guys on my Twitter feed talk about how everybody's betting on the over, which makes me want to take the under. It's at 54 yeah. and a half. You know, I'm leaning that way too. When I when I look at this game, I tend to think it's gonna go over, but. I'm going to take the under just because it seems like like 95% of all total Fade bets public. have gone on the over. So I want the under, and I just think the Niners are a better team. I think that they are, you know, I think these are two really good teams, but I think that the public is a little bit too focused on Pat Mahomes and all the things he can do, and they're not looking enough at what the Niners are bringing to the table on both sides of the ball. I think the Niners have been the better team all year. I think you made this point last week, and I think the more I thought about it, I think you're right. I think the Niners have been the better team in the playoffs. So I just think the Niners are a better team up front where it matters. I think they're going to be able to control the line of scrimmage. I think they're going to run the ball. I think they're going to be able to slow down the Chiefs running game. I think they're going to keep Mahomes in the pocket at least a little bit. You know, Mahomes is going to hit some plays. He's a great player. They're a great offense. The Chiefs are going to score. I just think it's going to be a close game into the second half, and I like the Niners to win by, I don't know, a touchdown or 10 points. You know, it wouldn't surprise nice. me if, if they kind of pulled away late. I like the Niners. I like the under. That's my pick. Yeah, I like uh, I like the Niners and the under as well. I, I think that I kind of chronicled this last week. If you want to hear uh, my specific thoughts on on why I like the side, I, you mentioned it. I, I think that even though it's we are talking about, uh, I mean, it's not even apple. It's not even fair to apples or oranges to. Uh, they're not even the same category. Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, but the way that Patrick Mahomes likes to move laterally and throw the ball, throw the ball reminds me of what Rodgers likes to do. And the, and the 49ers did a really nice job trying to set that edge edge and wall off that outside and make him move up or back in the pocket pit. And uh, it's not that Pat Mahomes can't do that, but I think if they take away the edges and they, they are and, and don't allow him to, uh, to get outside the hashes, they could at least make him a little bit less comfortable than he's been recently and that he's been throughout the season. Uh, the Niners have been just so battle-tested, and they're pretty healthy. I, I think that the, the, they've had... One of the toughest roads uh, going back to week 11 or 12 when they had to start by playing Baltimore, then the Saints, uh, they had the Seahawks, uh, they had the Packers, uh, they had, they had the, the meat of their schedule uh, got tough um, kind of late, and they, and, and they weathered a lot during that time, and I, I just think they're ready for it. Um, Andy Reid is an offensive wizard, but I think the Niners have enough defensively to slow him down, and I think the Niners have enough offensively to, to – to, to, I don't know about keep up with a Mahomes that's at full tilt, but I, I think they can score 30 points on this Chiefs defense if they continue or if they're able to run the ball and and then also pull out a few pass plays uh, at opportune times. So uh, I, I also favor the Niners. I, I could see it being right around 
that 53 mark, like a 30 to 23 game. I could absolutely see somewhere 30, 24, um, 28, 21, something like that would, would be, would be, uh, in range. But yeah, I think that, uh, we often see with these high powered offenses too, a little bit of feeling each other out early. I wouldn't be surprised if this thing is somehow scoreless after one, um, and it doesn't give us the fireworks right away, you know? Yeah. And I, I would anticipate some turnovers as well because I think that both defenses are going to come to play. Uh, and th- th- there's other one other thing that I do want to hit on. I feel like, you know, just th- the Super Bowl is a game, obviously, where you get a lot of people who haven't seen a down of football all year watch this game and also bet on this game. And so I think that when the public looks at this, the number one thing that they know is Pat Mahomes. And so I think that he's just sort of going to get overly bet. And then the other thing that they know, you know, obviously the quarterbacks get the bulk of public attention, particularly from a casual fan. You know, they saw that Jimmy G only threw the ball eight times in the NFC Championship game. Most casual fans are only going to look at the most recent game played. I think that there's too much anti there's too much Jimmy G negativity out there. I think he's a really good player. He's got weapons all around him. They've got a great offensive line. I expect that Jimmy G is going to throw it a lot more than eight times. I think he's going to play extremely well. I think the general public is is underrating his ability to make plays. And I just think that there's value in the Niners. I almost feel like, you know, if the the Chiefs and Mahomes weren't such a public play here that you would, like, if you were just going to do, like, the real the, the real pro gamblers out there, I think, are on the Niners here. I think that there's value with the Niners as an underdog. I think all things being equal, the Niners should probably be favored. But just because of the public sentiment, they're a slight underdog, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely makes sense. And I, I think you're right. I think the Niners have the passing game. I think it's there. Then they haven't had to use it. And people who are sleeping on Jimmy G, he has – I'm going to butcher the stats, but I, I heard him earlier today, today and, and these are going to be close. But he has, like, the, the highest quarterback rating in the NFL in the fourth quarter and when trailing this year. Uh, so he, he's been getting the job done in the clutch. He's helped them win games down the stretch. Uh, that got them this buy and that got them this schedule that allowed them to run the ball down people's throats. And uh, I, I think he's going to play just fine. I, I don't think that the um, the back four yeah, – I mean, I, I should say the back four. Tyron Matthew uh, is a hell of a player, and, uh, and, and Breland's pretty good too. But I, I think that there is some vulnerability in that secondary for the Chiefs. I, I don't think that they're bad, but I don't think that they're great. And I think that with enough of the creative things – that Kyle Shanahan likes to do with the offense and some of the creative routes that he runs, they'll find some soft spots against that secondary. And uh, I don't think that, you know, he, Jimmy's just going to have like a field day picking them apart, but I think he'll ha- he'll find success just fine. And, yeah. uh, and so, and then, you know, I, I mentioned there are a couple uh, prop bets yeah. um, that I like. Uh, the first one is I like Tyreek Hill to go over 75 and a half receiving yards. I think that the 49ers secondary doesn't really have an answer for him. I don't think that they have someone fast enough to stay with him. And I think they may try to be passing him off in zone. And, uh, and that is always a recipe for disaster. So I, I think they may have 
safety's a little bit deeper to avoid um, making sure he doesn't burn him for touchdowns. But I think he's going to get his yards, and they're going to be looking to keep him in front of him. But uh, I, I think he gets that, and wouldn't be surprised if he goes over 100. I think Raheem Mostert is going over 77 and a half yards. Uh, I don't see any reason why he's slowing down the 49ers well, that offensive one line. Me. Does it? Yeah, and here's and why. I, I, that, I know he's the guy du jour, but that's that's like 170 yards less than his last game. Yeah, and so everyone's just going to see what he did the last game and then see that number. That feels like a low number, but it's low for a reason. I feel like all the action's going to be on the over on that one. That would And maybe, maybe you're right because, because of his most recent performance, but I just expected that number to be probably somewhere around 80, 85. I, I, I thought the 70s was too low. Um, yeah, and can I comment you... on the Ty Hill one too? Because I think that's an interesting. Sure, yeah, one. yeah, go for it. Yeah, and, and here's why on that one. You know, they run a lot of his touches are, are on jet sweep type action, where they bring him from one side of the of the line to the other. And on some of those plays, they throw like yep. a little forward pass to him, but on others, they throw a little toss back to him. So the receiving part of that is interesting because yep. if it's if they throw it behind from where the quarterback's standing, it's counted as a rush, not a reception. So, you know, he may break off a 40-yard run on that, but it's going to be a run, not a catch. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I would be a little I, bit concerned I, I, absolutely. about um, But I also think that they – I feel like more often he's getting it on the, like, quick front shovel than on the back. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't know Toss. enough about so I think it, I think it may actually help. I think it actually helps my back. Um, so the, the other ones though, that I like, I just, or just, um, George Kittle under five and a half catches. I think the chiefs are going to work hard to take him away. And I think he might have a couple big ones, but I, I don't know. And I don't know that they're going to necessarily use him as a decoy. I think they'll try to get him the ball, but asking for six catches, I think is, is too many. Um, and then I like Kendrick Bourne to go over 23 and a half receiving yards. I think, I mean, he needs one big catch. I think he'll get it. I just I think that it's going to be there for the 49ers offense. He's also a guy that they could run on one of those uh, front shovel sweeps. They've, they've been using Debo Samuel for a lot more of that recently. Uh, but I just think the fact that all you need is one is one big catch. Um, I like Kendrick Bourne going over 23 and a half. And then another one that I'm going to play just because I like the odds is Jimmy Garoppolo's first compa- first pass is an incompletion um, or an interception, but mostly incompletion plus 165. I think pregame jitters, Chiefs trying to trying to send pressure uh, on, on his first attempt. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that one fell short, and, and it seems like a pretty sweet payday. So I know that he has had a high percentage recently, one of the higher percentages in the NFL this year, but uh, given just the start of this, the way the Super Bowl starts, it wouldn't surprise me to see that first one hit the turf. Do you have Emmanuel Sanders receiving yards or receiving receptions in front of you? Um, I I can within about 30 seconds if you have an idea about Well, I just think that he was shut out in the NFC Championship game. That's not going to happen again. So I wonder if it's uh, you get a little value there because everyone saw how badly he did. Not badly. They just didn't give him the ball uh, in the last game. So receptions is two and a half, um, but, the, but the over is minus 175, so you got to pay a lot of juice. Mm. And okay. then on the receiving yards, uh, 40 and a half, and the juice is more reasonable there. The over minus 125, the under minus 125. Yeah, I like the over on both of those. Yeah. I think that he's going to come to play. He's a really good player, 
And I think they're going to get him more involved than, than they had him against the uh, Packers. I wonder if you can parlay those or if they disallow that because they're related bets. Uh, that's a good question. Hmm. Well, something to look into. Okay. That's our last so, so in the book your, for a while. Finals, give me your final score prediction. Final score prediction. And MVP. I'm going to say 31-24. Does that satisfy my under? 31. No, that again, that gets you at uh, 55. Uh, so that would mean under. Okay. I'm going to say... I'll say 30 to 20. What did I say first? 31. You'd say 30, 21. You could be under. Third, so I'll say 30 to 21. <laughs> um, and I, I think the first Nine. thing out of my mouth was Niners 30, 23. So I'll, I'll roll with that. Okay. I don't know how, I don't know how the, how you get to 30 and 23, but I'll go with those numbers. And then man, MVP. Uh, um, Let's go Jimmy G. Why not? Feels great, baby. I will go Jimmy G as well. Not not to be too too vanilla, but I, I really think he's going to show up to play. I think it's going to be a huge, huge moment for him and, and the Niners franchise. I really do. All right. Well, uh, good luck to all in all of your bets. I hope you enjoy all the noshing that happens yeah. with, uh, with all, all the enjoy snacks. It, man. This is the we, last you, football game for Labor Day weekend. You can go find our old ones to, to hear about our, our favorite Super Bowl snacks. They're out there. They're out there on our feed. They are. And uh, this is that was our last in the book until Labor Day weekend. So uh, read it and weep. Do you have a wild card? I do not have a wild card. I've, I've kind of been. I've kind of had Super Bowl on the mind. Okay, I've got one for you, and I didn't until kind of right before the show started when I was looking through the Twitter feed and I saw your boy. Coach K, go ballistic. <laughs> Have you seen this? Yeah, I did see this. Yeah, so for those who haven't, Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski at Duke, they hosted Pitt tonight, who's coached by one of his former players and assistants, Jeff Capel. Um, and Jeff, uh, Jeff Capel coaches Pitt. Duke beat Pitt. And it was in Durham. And the Cameron Crazies towards the end of the game were getting on Jeff Capel, you know, kind of razzing him or whatever, chanting his name to come sit with them. And Coach K just lost it. He went off on his own fans, telling them to shut up and that he's one of us. I just <laughs> thought it was hilarious and over the top and, and very much. Just on chill him. out, man. Just he, chill Coach out. K is, you know, so my question is, name me a couple, you know, you don't have to rank them, but who are some of your least favorite coaches? It can be college, pro, any sport. That are that are coaching Ooh. right now. Least favorite, man. Least favorite. Um, I'm trying to think of, of if there are guys that like. I really there are there are very few that I think that I, I really can't stand. I'm in the um, same boat. Man, that's it. Why don't you go first if you've got a couple? Because I I, well, I struggle to come up with too many that I, I really have a lot of bad things to say about. I. Can't stand Phil Fulmer, uh, the okay. former Vols coach. He's now their athletic director, so he doesn't count. He hadn't coached in a long time. I don't like him. Um, I don't like Frank Beamer, but he has just retired from Virginia Tech. Um, you know, I'm not a big Coach K fan, but I do respect him. I mean, how can you not? 
And the same goes, I would say, for Roy Williams at North Carolina. He does a lot of things that really rub me the wrong way. But I respect him. I mean, he's a great coach. He runs a complete sham of a program. But, you know, who doesn't? Who doesn't these days? Um, On the pro side, I mean, it's hard. You know, I, I was not a big Mark Jackson fan. Uh, on the NBA oh, you side, know what? that's a good one. But he I doesn't thought, coach I anymore. He He's an announcer and has been for a long time. But I didn't like him as a, I didn't like him when he was a coach. No, I didn't. I didn't like him at all. Um, you know, he's one of the he was one of the only uh, kind of at, public athlete type figures to ever like bristle at me and give like really give me a hard time. Really, in, like, a public public scrum and like and it, it was it was after a totally reasonable question that he took to personally and kind of like called me out. And I'm like, what, what are you, how insecure are you about what, what you're doing with what I asked a question? What, I won't go down the whole It turns yeah. out extremely, he's extremely insecure yeah. because I think yeah. he's got a lot of things to hide. But yeah, we'll, I, think we'll leave I think you're right. <laughs> um, you know, I'm struggling with uh, yeah, guys that, but Mark Jackson would be, would, Mark Jackson would definitely be there for me. I mean, I think anyone who, generally legitimately mistreats players um needs to go in that category um you know i i don't know how much of uh, the mike leach uh, electrical closet how bad that really was but that's a, that's a pretty shitty thing if that if it that was. really happened i'm not sure um, really what happened there i mean the craig the craig james side of that story hasn't really stood the test of time so one guy that all that stands out that just because I remember from when I was in college, uh, he was an assistant at Arizona was Josh Pastner. I think that's his name. Yeah. Um, that just re- just so over the top animated, like even as an assistant coach, this guy was like coming like three steps out onto the floor and stomping his feet. And like he was just one of those coaches that never stops working the officials and just like and you just get so sick of it, and he, he sits there and chirps all game, and you're like, "How about coaching your players instead of riding the refs?" You know, like I, I, yeah. I that, and he hasn't guy, had much success with the Ramblin' no. Wreck down in Atlanta. He's gonna he, probably and where was he? Wasn't he in Memphis before that? He was at Memphis, I think, for like a year, and then he's been at Georgia Tech for probably four or five, and isn't doing a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. We're not doing too good on this one, you know. Honestly, <laughs> I'm surprised with myself that I don't have more that I could name. But I think in my older age, I've softened a little bit with this sort of thing. You know, back in the day, teenage college years, there were a lot of guys that I would have probably named. But these days, I sort of, I feel like I have an understanding that they're all just kind of trying to win games. And and you got to look at them from that prism and probably that prism only. You know, we don't know any of these guys. And, and, while a lot of these guys, to your point about Passner, act like complete idiots, at least on the sideline, you know, I'm I mean, give even him... the way Harbaugh like reacts to certain things, like he he asks, he like acts as if you you tried to take a chainsaw to his children, like it, like settle down, dude. He called a, he called an offensive pass interference. It's not the end of the world. He was, I think, just when he was with the Niners. He was yeah. on Remember a that NFC championship life. game? And, I mean, in Michigan, too, he's broken headsets in Michigan. Seems like he's softened a little bit 
at Michigan, but yeah, he, he's. I uh, think he. I think he has in the last couple of years because his his record isn't holding up. I think he. It was the first couple of years he was there. It was fine because it was like the novelty of that hadn't worn off yet. Well, you know, we haven't named the guy who's probably my least favorite, and he's not a coach right now. Herbs. There you are. He's yeah. the guy. Urban Meyer. I knew, I knew that. You, I knew that was your number one. I just didn't. I can't you stand him. him. I can't stand him. Um. But he'll be a coach again here soon. But he's not a coach now. He's the worst. He's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) And there you have it, Urban Meyer. He's the worst. Well, we're heading down to the desert for what, by all accounts, is going to be an awesome weekend. I mean, this Waste Management Open is legendary for the scene. You're going to be there Friday. I'm going to be there Saturday. Uh, We're both teeing it up. We're both going to have some dinners. We're both going to have some cocktails. We're going to... We're gonna see. We're gonna see what can be seen down there, and I hope that we get to spend a little bit of time together. But you know, we're both gonna be busy. You with your brother's bachelor party, so I get it. But I hope I get to see you, and I know that we'll have a great time and, and recap it on uh, next week when we get back. Yeah, I hope we are able to link up, and uh, and we will certainly discuss around this time next week. All right, everybody, have a good Super Bowl Sunday. Good Super Bowl weekend. And stay safe, stay good. Um, Thanks for listening. Good night, everybody. Sleep tight. Feels great, baby.